Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be discussing their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Military Families, 101 stories about the force behind the force. Today's show is a tribute to America's military families, and good morning, Amy. It is a wonderful day to have you on the air with me in honor of all our military families. Oh, thank you. And you know, it's Military Appreciation Month, and last Saturday was Armed Forces Day. The Friday before Mm -hmm. that was Military Spouse Appreciation Day. This coming weekend, we have Memorial Day, and then in three more weeks, on June 14th, we have Flag Day. So mm-hmm. we're in the sweet spot for thinking about our service members and their families and remembering to appreciate them. So true. Congratulations on publishing this awesome book honoring a truly amazing group of people. In the spirit of Winston Churchill Woods, never was so much owed by so many to so few. And we don't really fully understand the gravitas of this thing, but Although we have so many families in the military, but then there's a whole vast of us, not only in the United States, but around the world, that should be very thankful about what the American military have done in keeping peace around the world. Yeah, so I was surprised. The statistic is that half of 1% of Americans are serving in the military, Mm -hmm. but then they are supported by these military families which the USO calls the force behind the forces. And these one half of 1%, you know, of Americans are supporting and, you know, defending and keeping safe the other 99.5% of us. And it was really good for me as an American to be exposed to these stories and be forced to think about what these people do and what it's like. And I have a new appreciation I mean, my father was in the military, but it was before I was born. And so many of Mm -hmm. us, our fathers served, but before we were born, so we weren't really in military families. We just have fathers who talk about their service. Uh, But it's really different living it every day and being in a military family. What was the inspiration behind Chicken Soup's military family? Well, we get so many stories from military families, from from uh, our armed forces themselves, from veterans, from spouses, parents, children of our service members. And I'd always wanted to do a book for them. We do have two past Chicken Soup for the Soul books that address this. We have Chicken Soup for the Veteran's Soul, which is very popular. Mm -hmm. We have Chicken Soup for the Military Wife's Soul, but that's a very narrow subset 
of military families. And then we did focus a lot on military stories in our book that we put out last year called Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Spirit of America. But I mm-hmm. wanted to do a book that was specifically for all of the family members. So the grandparents of the service members, the parents of them, their spouses, their other relatives, their cousins, their siblings, and their children. And I had actually been collecting stories for years to put into this book. And we collected thousands of potential stories to go in the book. But I needed the right partner to do it with because I didn't feel that as somebody whose father was in the Air Force, but you know, only before I was born, I didn't feel qualified to do this alone. I needed to collaborate with somebody who really understood what military life is about. And that is the USO, because the USO is always there for military service members and their families from the moment, you know, from their first day in to their last day out. And the USO is there for them all over the United States and all over the world, wherever our military service members are, so is the USO. And so we, you know, we like to support different nonprofits at Chicken Soup for the Soul. And so we decided we would work with the USO on this book. They brought us even more fabulous stories. And then 60 cents from every book sold, including the e-book, so print books or e-books, 60 cents a book is going to the USO to support them because um, I didn't realize this, but the USO is privately funded. It's not run by the government or the military. Very interesting. This is something that has been around for a long time, and you had a wonderful forward for the book by Miranda Hope, who is related to Bob Hope. <laughs> Please tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, she is his <laughs> granddaughter, and she had the privilege of going on one of his last tours. She was 17 years old, and he was 84. It was the week of Christmas, 1987. And They flew around the globe. They circumnavigated the globe. They started in L.A., they flew west, and then they ended in L.A. And Bob Hope performed seven shows along the way. They went to an air base in the Philippines. They were in the Persian Gulf. They were on a snow-covered army base in northern Italy. They were all over. And Miranda, at 17, was absolutely exhausted. She slept for two days when they got back from that week. Meanwhile... While they were on the road, not only was Bob Hope performing for the troops, and they loved him just as much in 1987 as they had loved him back in you know the 1950s, mm-hmm. the 1940s. But between shows, he was tweaking the show, you know, fine-tuning it, making mm-hmm. it fit each new group that he was going to see. He had an unbelievable amount of energy, and it was, partly came from how much he loved performing for the troops. She says in her foreword that they were absolutely his favorite audience. He felt such an affinity to those troops, and it was such a privilege for him to perform for them around the world as they served. And he told her on the trip that he felt so privileged because he grew up the son of a stonemason in Cleveland, and You know, he grew up with no money, very little education, and now he was traveling the world performing for all of these people, you know, a comedian, an actor, a singer, an all-around performer. And, in fact, 
um, he created a foundation with his wife, the Bob and Dolores Hope Foundation, which raises money to fund charities that feed, clothe, and shelter veterans. Mm-hmm. And Miranda is actually a vice president of that foundation. And so we loved having a foreword from her because she was with her grandfather on his tour, and she grew up in that family. It's very appropriate that Bob Hope's last name was Hope because I think that's what he really did. He spread he spread a feeling of home as he mm-hmm. traveled around the world entertaining the troops, but it was also a feeling of hope, you know, that they would mm-hmm. be home again. One of the most interesting things about Bob Hope is that when I was growing up in Malaysia, we used to watch the black and white movies. I thought he's really funny and it's just a wonderful comedian. Of course, back then, you don't have to be nasty to be funny, if that makes sense. <laughs> I know what you mean. They could be funny. Where if they were nasty, they were only making fun of themselves. It was self-deprecating. Right. But they right. never were nasty to other people. Right, right. And I recall being in the United States in the early 80s when I first got here. And, of course, this is obviously was one of his comedy deal. And I believe at that time, Ronald Reagan was running for president and Bob Hope was running for president. If you recall, Hope for America, he had that show on TV. He would do like this Hope for America. And of course, he came to be the president, if I'm not saying, because he was not born in America. It was really funny. I mean, it was really, really funny. I totally missed that. If you Google it, you'll find it. It's Hope for America. It's Bob Hope running for president. It was meant to be a comic from that standpoint of view, but it was a great slogan. <laughs> Hope for America. Anyway, how many submissions did Chicken Soup receive for this book? It was thousands. I mean, I remember even before we officially decided to make the book, because I had been collecting stories all along, Mm -hmm. um, hoping that I would eventually make the book. I remember seeing that we had more than 2,000 submissions before I even officially put the book on our schedule. So I don't know how many we ended up getting, but it it was several thousand. And we went through, you know, we read all of them, as we always do. Every single submission is read. We just put more editors on to read all of them. And then we shared the last, I don't know, 300 or so with the USO because we really wanted them to tell us what they thought. Because, you know, there might have been a story that we loved, and then they might have said, no, 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 that's actually disrespectful in some way, or mm-hmm. no, that's not how the military really works, or yeah. Whatever, or that guy shouldn't be saying where his where his um, battalion was stationed, or whatever it was. <laughs> so we we made sure that it was all completely kosher, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and then we narrowed it down to the final 101. And I have to say, there was a special challenge in putting this book together, mm-hmm. and it's why mm-hmm. the book is so special because it was very emotional. And even mm-hmm. as I was preparing for this interview this morning and looking over the stories that you identified as some of your particular favorites. And I was rereading mm-hmm. those stories. I was sitting at my kitchen table crying because the mm-hmm. stories are so emotional, even when they have happy endings, just the thought of these parents, you know, worrying about their children and then what, what the, their children are going through being stationed in these scary places and what the kids are going through waiting for their mothers or fathers to come home. It just, it makes me so emotional every time I read these stories. And when I was actually preparing a bunch of these stories to tell on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast, I had to practice over and over again 
describing the story so I wouldn't break down while I was recording in the recording studio and, you know, and actually <laughs> memorializing these stories in podcasts. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just extremely emotional. So I think that was challenging. Um, and I don't know how the people at the USO do it because they are not just out there, you know, putting on shows. That's just right. one little thing that they yeah. do. What they really do is they run airport lounges and base lounges all over the world, a couple of hundred of them. And they also provide all kinds of special services for uh, for the parents, for the service members, for everybody. So, for example, if a service member is injured and ends up being flown to the hospital in Germany where they take a lot of the service members who are injured in the Middle East, the mm-hmm. USO will help. You know, a, a mother from Chicago get on a plane and get to Germany and be met in Germany by the USO, and they help her through the process of getting to the base hospital. They're there helping those families all along the way. Very interesting. These are the things that actually we are thinking as an average citizen, the military is providing that, and that's not necessarily the truth. It's the private organization that's actually ushering this whole process to get it done. So that's wonderful. That's why it's so important that we help to raise additional funding for the USO because Mm -hmm. you talk to anyone in the military and they'll tell you how the USO helped them. It could be something as simple as they're stationed in some place in the middle of Africa and, Mm -hmm. you know, they can go to a USO lounge and collapse into an upholstered armchair. You Mm -hmm. know, soldiers have Mm -hmm. said, I go to the USO lounge just so I can sit in a chair. It makes me feel like I'm back home. You know, mm-hmm. just to sit 10 minutes in a regular chair is so comforting. The USO helps them make their phone calls home. They'll, they're the ones who will set up the video so that a soldier could watch his wife give birth to his first child back in the right. States. Right. They, they make all of these moments happen, these special moments that get our service members through their years of service, and I just had never realized. I mean, you would just assume, right, that the USO mm-hmm. was funded by the military or by the government in some way. And right. now that now that uh, I don't don't know what's going to happen with this budget, but the budget is mm-hmm. calling for an increase in the number of troops. That's going to increase the need for the USO even more, right. giving them even more service members they need to take care of. Right, right. So true. In putting the book together, what was the most compelling story for you? Well, there was one. I mean, there are so many that really Mm -hmm. make me emotional. But there was one that I had to practice. I had to practice telling the story out loud probably 10 times to try to desensitize myself so that I could do the story on my podcast without breaking down Mm -hmm. in the recording studio and it's called Homecoming. Uh, mm-hmm. It's by mm-hmm. uh, Diana Bemis Good. And so Diana tells us that she, well, she opens her story by opening an envelope. And she hadn't received a letter in more than a month from her son. And so she gets this letter and she goes, oh, please, Lord, please let my son be okay. And then she opens up the letter and then she screams for her husband and he comes running in you know, saying, what is it? What's wrong? Why are you crying? And she says, he's coming home. And two weeks later, she was at the airport waiting for him. But 
it was particularly joyous because mm-hmm. three months earlier, she had been watching the news on TV when a news, re- a news alert crossed the bottom mm-hmm. of the screen, and it said, Huey helicopter down, no survivors. Huey helicopter down, no survivors. Well, her son, Joshua, was in Operation Iraqi Freedom. There mm-hmm. were only eight or nine Hueys total operating there, and that was the kind of helicopter her son flew in. So there wasn't, you know, one out of eight or one out of nine chance that it, that was his helicopter and that he was gone. And there was nothing that she and her husband could do but wait. The military told them, if your son was on that helicopter, um, you will get a knock on the door within 24 hours. The dreaded mm-hmm. knock on the door where somebody, right. you know, sees a car pull into the driveway, two somber people get out in full uniform, walk to the door. She made it through those 24 hours. She went to work the next day as a school teacher. And when the school bell rang at 2.30, that wasn't only the end of the school day. That was the end of her 24-hour waiting period. So she cried at that point. I mean, she cried for the families that had gotten the dreaded knock on the door. Now it was three months later. She was at the airport waiting to see her son. And, you know, she was there with her whole family. They had a big banner painted in red, white, and blue paint. It said, Welcome Home Joshua. And they were watching the arrivals board and saw that he had landed and then she's peering down the concourse and you know how you can't cross through unless you have a ticket but you can look <laughs> yes. you can look past the TSA right you can see somebody mm-hmm. coming up and there's this yellow line you're not supposed to cross and she's standing there at the yellow line and then she sees him in the distance this tall thin young man with a big smile on his face and she just ran right over that yellow line even though the TSA you know, was all over her. She ran over that line and jumped into his arms and uh, walked back across that line, arm in arm with her son. And it was just such a difficult story for me because mm-hmm. I was thinking about my own son who's 30 and my other son who's 37. Um, you know, it's just emotional. Sure. It really is. Sure. So sure. anyway, that's, that's an example of the kind of story that was in that book. And that one had a happy ending, but boy, the fear that that mother lived right, with. Right, right. I have always mentioned this, your mom will always love you more than you love her. As a child, we don't really realize that kind of love that a mother has for us. Yeah, it never goes away, and um, yeah. you'll do anything to protect your children. Right, right. How can Reading Chicken Soup's military families help non-military families? Well, I think it just gives us such an appreciation for a whole segment of our population that we know nothing about. I mean, they're off doing their thing, we're off doing our thing, and yes, we're vaguely aware of the fact that we should thank service members, and we see them, and we say thank you for your service, but we don't know when we're looking at their families because they're not dressed in uniforms, so we don't know to thank them also for their service. Because right. they are truly serving as well. I mean, those service members are off doing their thing. But meanwhile, back at home, their spouses are moving, you know, every year or two, sometimes right. from one side of the country to the other or from our country to another country. I mean, the kids are spending a lot of time without one parent or sometimes both parents there's a lot of family members who are working really hard in the background to conduct their lives with someone missing and also to provide their 
active duty service member with emotional support. I mean, they have to be brave. They can't burden their active service member with all of the hassles they're going through. They can't necessarily tell him, you know, hey, I just had to get the roof repaired, you know, or or at least they don't tell him until the roof's already been repaired. They don't have to tell him <laughs> while, <laughs> while the water is pouring into the house because he's focusing on what he's doing overseas or she's focusing on what she's doing. And wow. so there are a lot of these unheralded heroes, these um, these families, and it made me feel very grateful and very passionate about raising money for the USO since the USO provides so many services to the families as well. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. And my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're discussing Chicken Soup's latest release, Military Families, 101 stories about the force behind the force. Today's show is a tribute to America's military families. Amy, let's talk about some of the stories in the book. They're wonderful stories. And again, I only picked about 12 of them. I mean, that's nowhere close to all the moving stories in the book. Beautiful, beautiful stories. And as you mentioned before, they're very well written as well. So kudos to all the contributors from that perspective. Chapter one. It Takes a Village, the Common Denominator by Linda Jewell. I had two <laughs> stories from Chapter 1, and let's talk about the first yeah. one. This is a beautiful story. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in this story, uh, Linda Jewell talks about how she's a member of the Blue Star Mothers, which yes. is an organization of moms with sons and daughters in the military. And it really helps her find some comfort in her life because she's supporting troops, she's supporting veterans, and it gives her something positive to do while she's worried about her son being deployed. But anyway, she talks about when her son first deployed, he was 25 years old, and she was so worried about him, he was going to be spending his first Christmas outside the United States and apart from relatives. And she said she just didn't understand how the military operates as one big family. Mm -hmm. And so Right before Christmas, her son called her and said, oh, don't worry, I'm going. One of the officers and his wife invited me to dinner. They're having a whole bunch of us over for dinner. And she kept finding out all of these things that her son was doing with other members of the military, you know, his 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 coworkers or comrades or whatever you would call the people of yes. his own rank, plus the officers were always taking care of them. And so she talks about how it really is one big family and how they all support each other and so that she didn't have to worry about him as much. Of course, she worried mm-hmm. about his safety, but in yeah. terms of his emotional support, he was getting tons of emotional support from the people he saw every day while he was away. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story. And you know why I chose that story, though? <laughs> Me and my nine moms. Just having that whole support group, and it's amazing because it truly reminded me about my mom being so concerned that I came here to the United States when I was 18. And in the course of like living here, she was so happy that I had all this support group, mothers, that kind of look out for her son. So anyway, not to take away from this, it's just a beautiful story. And I said, no, I definitely have to go with that story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the next one I know that you that you mm-hmm. loved was called Why Every Moment Counts by Andrea Holt. Mm-hmm. And this is cool because it's an example of the USO 
in action in Okinawa because there's a large USO presence in Japan where we have a large military presence. And so one of the things the USO does, and it sounds so simple, but it can be such a logistical nightmare, is they have a program called Operation Birthday Cake. And so she talks about a Marine mom who contacted her to schedule a birthday cake for her son, um, but then she found out that the son was going to be deployed in the next few days to do a humanitarian relief effort in Nepal after that large earthquake that they have. Remember that in 2015? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this USO volunteer had to quickly go and get a cake made really, really fast. But she managed to pull it off. They got the cake in to his unit the day before he deployed to Nepal. Um, they surprised him with it. His fellow Marines sang to him, and then he went off to Nepal. And then I don't know if you remember this, but I specifically remember hearing about this. The two Marines that were killed when a helicopter went down in Nepal, and there we were for a humanitarian relief effort. Mm-hmm. And this boy who was having his birthday was one of those two who was killed. And the mother was so glad she, that the USO had gotten that birthday cake to him the day before he died. So that was a very sad story, but also showed the USO being right there and giving that mother so much comfort that that cake had made it to her son and that mm-hmm. his birthday was celebrated right before he left for Nepal. It's just a moving story, and I like it in terms of we take it for granted like every moment counts. You hear that sort of cliches like non-military people. But in the military family, you can really understand they really mean that because you never know. Exactly. So that cake was very worthwhile. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that was very important. Chapter two, Growing Up Military. Far But Never Too Far by C. Solomon. Wonderful story. I had the privilege of meeting Caroline Solomon, actually, a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I was down at USO headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, and we were creating a video because the USO is making some videos to celebrate this book and to bring to life some of the stories in its pages. And so I met her, and she was interesting because she grew up a military child went through our Department of Defense school system, which is basically a humongous school district that spans the world. And she talks about her high school graduation. She was class president, and planning the graduation was her responsibility. And they were lucky that all but two of their classmates had both their parents there with them for graduation. But the two classmates whose fathers were not there were very sad Their fathers were in Iraq. And so Caroline, without telling anybody, because she knew how easily it could go wrong and not happen, but she actually arranged to have a video feed. And so as they were doing the graduation ceremony, and she was absolutely sure it would work, they turned on the video feed, and all of a sudden her two classmates, whose fathers were not there, saw the two fathers standing there in uniform in Iraq and they talked to them and their fathers got to watch them graduate and get their diplomas. They got to talk to their fathers. Their fathers got to congratulate them. And Caroline said there wasn't a dry eye in the place. (laughs) Everybody was bawling at this graduation ceremony, but she pulled it off. It was amazing. 
Um, and she did that when she was just a kid. So I was very impressed by that. That's what technology is supposed to be useful. <laughs> That's all I have to exactly. say. Exactly. That's what technology is supposed to be useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a wonderful use of technology. And, um, yeah, that was it was very good. I mean, that's what I'm saying about these stories. Like everyone is yeah. so emotional. Everyone is so heart wrenching or heart warming. You know, they mm-hmm. all get to you though. Right, right. So true. Chapter three, on the move again, overseas by Christy Adams. So the thing about this is that <laughs> These military spouses, they have to move all the time, and they're usually moving pets, children. I mean, it's incredible how much they move. Uh, They're probably not like the rest of us who build up vast stores of junk in our homes, right? Because they have Mm -hmm. to move so Mm -hmm. often that they pare it down to what they really need. So she talks about when they were moving to Germany, and she was learning German, Um, But she also had to figure out how to move to another country because there were a ton of health certifications required for her, her husband, and for their cat. And so she talked about everything they had to go through, especially with the cat, which really did not appreciate being vaccinated and tested and probed. Um, But they finally made it to Germany. And then she talks about what it's like to go to a foreign country in the military and have to learn the local customs. And how much she loved it, though, and how she loved right. learning, a, learning a different language, learning a different culture, going to the butcher shop and talking to the butcher in German, and how welcoming they are there. And that was something that we got from all of these stories by military families, was that even though it was hard not to specifically have roots and to move all the time, they so appreciated the learning experience. And the kids talk about how it makes them so much more resilient and adaptable Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. they really do value having grown up in a way where they travel around the world meeting new people, being exposed to new cultures. Um, I don't know if this is, like, official. I don't know if military brat is really an okay thing to say, but they all call themselves (laughs) military brats, and they say say that the brat, B-R-A-T, stands for bravery, resilience, and tenacity. I chose that story because I think people need to realize that if you focus on the positive thing, and especially in this particular case, you're talking about traveling the world and having an opportunity to really learn so much more. And we are living in a global community now. And you mentioned something about the kids are really enjoying it as well. Actually, you become more rounded, so to speak. Oh, definitely. These kids all say they wouldn't have traded it. I mean, they know it would have been interesting to grow up in one town and go to school with the same kids through, you know, grade 1 to 12 and have that town to go back to. But they love the fact that they've met people all over the world, that they have friends all over the world. And I think that really the Internet makes it so much better because Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. in the old days, as they moved, they probably would lose those friends. But now with the Internet, they can keep all of those friends that they meet all over the world. So true, so true. Chapter 4 really shows the support behind the supports. Staying strong at home, stronger than you know, by Anthony Fudding. Yeah, so I love it when the husbands are so aware of what their spouses do. And so this, um, this particular husband served 23 years in the Air Force and says he couldn't have done it without his wife, Mari. 
And he says every time he got a medal, he felt that she should have gotten the medal (laughs) because he was deployed overseas more than once. Um, She had to have their children, you know, give birth without Mm -hmm. him there. She was the one who had to move them. She was the one who had to stay strong. She was the one who had to stay strong when their second child had to go into the NICU. And she was the one who had to stay strong when the roof started leaking and they, and had to be repaired. She didn't tell them until it was already done. Mm-hmm. She handled mm-hmm. everything on her own. And he says that she knew not to bother him with it because, in fact, to do a good job deployed, he needed to be able to focus on the work that he was doing. And right. so she she allowed him to focus by taking care of these things and only telling him when they had already been taken care of. Right. And so he says she earned no medals, but she earned my admiration, respect, and love. And then he concludes his story. This is amazing. He says one day they were watching a news story about the hardships endured by a deployed service member, and his wife, Mari, said to him, I could never be that strong. And he concludes by saying, she was even stronger. I mean, she <laughs> didn't even recognize how strong she right. was. So I thought that was a wonderful, loving tribute to a military wife. Mm-hmm. So true. I chose that story again. This is very interesting in terms of the fact that she just did it because it needs to get done. That's number one. And number two, this applies to all of us. Amy, think about it. You cannot bring harmony at work home, but you can certainly bring harmony at home to work. That's the true. Strength. Right. It mm-hmm. really helps it really helps the service members to know that home is being taken care of. And yeah. they don't add that to their list of worries because they really do need to focus on what they're doing. I mean, they're operating, you know, sophisticated airplanes, you know, their ships, mm-hmm. technology, they're fighting in wars. They need to stay focused on what they're doing, and not only for their own survival, but for for the people they're fighting with or working with who depend right. on them to do their jobs properly. Right. So true. Chapter 5, Patriotism in Action in the Presence of Greatness by Karina Garrison. So this is a very nice tribute to a World War II soldier because these mm-hmm. these men who are now in their 90s, the ones who are still surviving, they really went through a lot. And a lot of them have never even wanted to talk about it because it's just so awful. And, you know, we didn't have as much news coverage back then. I mean, we didn't right. have as much knowledge of what our World War II service members were going through and so a lot of them have just kept it inside, and they didn't come home, you know, to psychiatrists giving them therapy and PTSD treatment and all the rest of it. They just suffer silently. So Katrina, um, she or Karina, she is a writing instructor, and she was doing a class at a local library for a writers group, and in came a new member, this elderly man, very gentlemanly though, beautifully dressed impeccable manners and he finally opened up to this writers group and told them stories about world war ii and she got the feeling that he hadn't told these stories before and they just listened you know with rapt Mm -hmm. attention and it really made a big impression on them it was a very emotional experience for them he talked about how he and his brother were both 
soldiers, and they used to write letters to each other and, you know, to support each other and to, and to talk about what they would do when the war was over and they got to go home. And then Bill's brother died. And so he <laughs> talked about that. And then he he showed the writer's group a whole bunch of poems he had written. And I think many of us, when we're feeling very emotional about something, somehow we just start writing poetry. I know for yeah. me, I mean, I virtually never would voluntarily write a poem, you know, even in school. Like, I always would have chosen mm-hmm. prose over poetry. It's very rare that I want to write yeah. a poem, only when I'm really passionate about something <laughs> or really incensed about something. <laughs> but he showed them all of these poems that he had written about his service, and they were talking about the fact that, you know, all these celebrities out there are being you know, lauded on television for their latest outfit that they're wearing or whatever they're doing. Right. And what Karina says is the real celebrity was sitting right there with us, this elderly mm-hmm. gentleman who had served in World War II. It's a beautiful story. And it's one of those things where it reminds me of what General Patton says, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. Yeah. Yeah, and it was nice because he didn't fade away because he got to revive his stories and tell them to a new group of listeners at this writer's mm-hmm. group and bring World War II alive again for them and allow them to appreciate mm-hmm. what these gentlemen went through. Mm-hmm. So true. Chapter 6, The Faces of the Forces, Army Strong, We Move On, by Carolyn Brown. Yeah, this was sad because Carolyn talks yeah. about how her husband served in... Um, Vietnam, and then again mm-hmm. in Iran, and so it. And I just think he didn't get all of the treatment that they give people today. You know, he he did yeah. this right before they started really, really knowing that. So she, like she said, that one night he was sleeping, and she gently touched him on the shoulder, and he put his hands around her neck, mm-hmm. you know, as if he was going to strangle her, right. and um, and then he realized it was his his wife and he put his hands down but he said to her never stand too close or touch me to wake me up so she learned never to do that again and one day they were just walking on their street and a car backfired and her husband dove face down onto the sidewalk Um, he wouldn't talk about his war experiences much but she could see it in the way he reacted to everyday things he did tell her that he had been in a helicopter one time that was carrying severely wounded men to an aid station and they took fire and the pilot was shot, died instantly. The co-pilot was severely wounded. And so her husband had to push the pilot aside, the dead pilot, take over the controls. He had never flown himself, but he managed to bring the chopper down. And, you know, he just went through one horrendous experience After another, here's one that was really incredible. Um, They had moved to Iran right before the Iranian Revolution. So they just went there for like Mm -hmm. a normal posting to Iran. But then 10 months later, the revolution occurred. And so she had to leave with their three-year-old son. But he stayed behind. And then eventually it was time for him to leave too. They were airlifting out the forces after they got out, the spouses and the children, And so her husband was driving to the rendezvous point where they were going to join up with 
the people who were being evacuated, and they were pulled over by some young revolutionaries who captured her husband and the guy he was with and put a rifle up against him and then ordered him to drive to a place, a remote location, where they interrogated him. And then after they interrogated him, they let him go. And he went to the Tehran Hilton Hotel and met up with the other military being evacuated, and he got out. But imagine how traumatic that was. And he was never treated for PTSD. But she said he still carries those deeply buried wounds, and so it's something they've learned to live with. But it's very sad because we don't, you know, we see somebody, we don't know why somebody might be reacting strangely to something. And it could be one of these amazing people who served us. But he's not in uniform anymore. We don't know to thank him. We don't know to understand why he's reacting to something the way that he is. So it helped to build, that story really helped to build awareness for me that you just don't know what people have been through when you see them. That's correct. I chose that story because it reminded me of what my Italian foster mom told me about my Italian foster father. My Italian foster father fought in World War II, and he was with Patton's army. And one of the things that my Italian foster mom told me was when Ben came home, he was never the same person that she married in a way. I mean, he's nice and so forth, but it's just not the same. It's something that she could detect. And, of course, as you had mentioned, they don't talk about it. Yeah, and and it's not healthy, but that's mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. that's how they did it. And so we have whew, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people yeah. who served who are suffering these invisible wounds. Right. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're discussing Chicken Soup's latest release, Military Families, 101 Stories About the Force Behind the Force. Today's show is a tribute to America's military families. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Amy, Chapter 7 is a wonderful chapter, Ready to Serve, and I love this one, Full Circle by Jody Brissett. Yeah, I love this, too, because I learned a lot about the people who work for the USO and volunteer at the USO. The USO has something like 35,000 volunteers who help to staff Mm -hmm. their locations and provide the services. And so um, this veteran, Jody, um, recalls when he was a young soldier and he was going off to South Korea, it was 1991, and he was, you know, sitting in the airport, and a USO volunteer came up to him and took him to the USO center at the airport and introduced him to the services there. And he learned that as he traveled around, he should look for that USO home away mm-hmm. from home. And so he talked about how he used these USO facilities, the snacks, the phone, the phone services, all of the things that they offered over the years. And when he finally retired from the service, he decided that he wanted to pay it forward and he would go and volunteer for the USO as well. So now he is managing the USO Center at Pohak. I'm going to try to pronounce this a Hawaiian name, (laughs) Pohakuloa Training Area, which is on the big island of Hawaii, where they try to provide a home away from home 
at these USO centers to the young men and women of the armed forces. So I thought that was great. There were so many stories, and ones we didn't publish as well, but that I was privileged to read about Mm -hmm. the USO volunteers and why they do what they do. And so many of them are giving back after having been helped by the USO, or they are parents of service members who are giving back because their children were helped by the USO. Right. These are the things that the average Joe, like me, don't really know what's going on. So I'm so glad that this book is out there. And as I had asked you earlier, what can non-military families get from reading this book? I think these are the kind of stories that will really make us think twice and have a different sense of appreciation for a lot of people out there. Yes, I agree. I think that I had never even realized that there were USO centers and airports before. And as soon Mm -hmm. as I worked on the book, I flew out to San Diego to do an interview about the book and saw the USO center and heard the (laughs) announcement over the PA system. The USO center is located in, you know, blah, blah, concourse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. thought, how can I have been traveling for decades and never noticed the USO before? Now I'm going to notice it everywhere. Yeah. But Amy, that's what we're talking about. Like, it's not in our lives. And I say this with due respect, who cares? You know what I'm saying? And that's sad because these Yeah, it are should the be people... in our lives. We should all be aware. Precisely, precisely. Because these are the people that really gave us what we have today, freedom. We made the book for military families, and I know people are busy and they yeah. – you know, we probably won't get that many people reading Chicken Soup for the Soul military families who are not directly affected. But in fact, just as a citizen of our nation, they need to. I'm really glad I got to read and edit all of these yeah. stories. I, I think if somebody has the time to read books that just expand their minds and introduce them to new things, right? It's great to read these because you will come away from reading these stories a changed person. You can't help but be a changed person because it opens your eyes to this you know, very small segment of our population, one half of 1% who are serving. That's correct. That's but correct. what an eye-opener it is. It really mm-hmm. makes you feel much more a part of an overall community and more aware of all of the different pieces that go into creating the United States of America. That's correct. So true. Chapter 8, Coming Home. I know you have shared your favorite story, your compelling story from this chapter. I have a story in this particular chapter that is really interesting, that kind of have a personal impact on me. The Bombs Bursting in the Air by Tamara Bodstrom. This was an amazing story because Tamara was at um, you know, an amusement park with her grandfather, and it was they were going to do the fireworks. And she had always noticed that her grandfather would go missing right before the fireworks were scheduled to start wherever they were. And she had asked her mother about it, and her mother had said, oh, he doesn't like the noise of the explosions because they remind him of the war. So they were at an amusement park, and the announcement came over the speaker that in just two minutes a fireworks show would start. Well, that didn't give her grandfather enough time. He panicked. He started running to get away from the fireworks. He was looking for some place where he could go and find shelter. And Tamara ran behind him. She wasn't supposed to, but she followed him. And he couldn't make it to the men's room in time. That's where he wanted to hide. And so she watched him as he 
shuddered when the first fireworks bang went off, and he just collapsed. He was trembling. She held his hand. He was crying. And there she was, this little girl cradling a grown man, her grandfather, who was supposed to be this big, strong man, her grandfather. And she held him as he suffered through the sound of the fireworks, crying and shaking. And then when it was over, he got up and he said, thank you. And they walked back to be with the rest of the family. And she knew she should never mention it to anyone. And I'm assuming that he's passed on now, and that's why she decided Mm -hmm. to share this story in -hmm. our book. But she says, she says, still, even now as an adult, when I hear people say that real men don't cry, I wonder if they have ever known a real man, even seen one, as I did on that night. So it's very, very sad. That story, it's very interesting to me because it reminded me when I first came to the United States, I have this urge of wanting to learn a lot of things. And that's why I urge people to read this book, regardless whether you're in the military or not. You really need to read this book because you're going to get a lot out of it in terms of just broaden your spectrums about life, living, and people. For me, this particular story, at the time when I was in college, I was watching Ken Burns' Civil War series on PBS. And it talks about Gettysburg and the three-day fighting that went on from morning till night. Artilleries were being fired from both sides and people trying to describe to you as best as they could. The ground shatter, the busting in the air, the smoke, the smell and all that. You say, uh-huh, yeah, okay. You're trying to imagine those things. A few years later, I had the opportunity to attend the 4th of July celebration in Washington, D.C. I'm sitting right in front of the Washington Monument facing the Lincoln Monument on that sort of grassy knoll. The fireworks started. The ground shook. I could feel the shock waves hitting my chest each time when there's that boom you could really feel it for the first time in my life i realized now like if this had been war if that's uh, the sounds of the cannon balls exploding this is how people would feel and then the next thing that hit me was can you imagine going through this seven eight hours a day for three days it's just phenomenal i mean you can't grasp that yeah, I I always have found fireworks kind of creepy personally. <laughs> I um no, really. Like I yeah, I yeah. mean they're pretty and everything, but we hear them all around us July 4th weekend and mm-hmm. it's okay when you're right there and you can see them and you can associate right. the sound with with seeing the actual sparkly lights, but when you're just hearing the sound, mm-hmm. it's ominous. And I right. hear it all the time because I live in, a, in an area where there are a lot of different country clubs around and they all put on fireworks displays mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. you know, a period of a few days over Memorial yeah. Day weekend or July 4th weekend. And it always freaks me out to listen to those sounds because it really does sound like war. So I can understand yeah. why a veteran would react very strongly to those sounds. Mm-hmm. 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 Chapter 9, The Lighter Moments, The Peach Connection by Arthur Wicknick. This is a cool story. (laughs) Yeah, Arthur actually lives in Connecticut, where I am, and he is very devoted to uh, veterans' issues and veterans. And so I was really happy that we could publish a story by him in this book. And he talks about how he arrived in Vietnam in 1969. He was a brand-new infantry squad leader, 
and his company had just been ordered to take part in the famous battle for Hamburger Hill. Mm-hmm. And so they were told, just take you know, weapons, ammunition, and one canteen of water. Don't take anything else. But he grabbed a little can of sliced peaches, and they went 24 hours without food. And so he opened his can of peaches, thinking, well, the other guys must have brought some food too. And he just ate his can of peaches. I mean, it was one of those tiny little (laughs) cans that weren't enough peaches to share with 12 guys anyway. But everybody looked at him. And then a short time later, they were given the order to assault the mountain. Mm -hmm. And he set off, and he was, like, yelling to his troops, okay, follow me, we're going up this way. And he charged up the ridge, pushing branches aside and jumping over, like, abandoned enemy positions Mm -hmm. and ignoring the bullets. And he gets to the top of the hill, and he realizes not a single one of his guys has followed him. And then he goes back down kind of sheepishly, and he said, why didn't you guys follow me? And he said, and they said, well, you didn't share your peaches. <laughs> and so he learned a very important lesson then. So then he came up with this new scheme where he started mm-hmm. writing letters. He, he got this apple juice that was great in a you know care package from home, and he wrote a mm-hmm. letter to the mm-hmm. manufacturer about how much he loved the apple juice and was there any way that he could purchase a case of apple juice to share with his squad because he was still trying to make amends for eating those peaches by himself. And the manufacturer sent him a complimentary carton of, you know, 24 cans of apple juice. Then he started writing to other manufacturers and scoring all this free stuff for (laughs) his guys. So that was the story that he wrote about how he was able to score all this free stuff for for his group and uh, make up for his transgression eating those peaches by himself. <laughs> I love the story because it talks about teamwork. Chapter 10, saying goodbye, pursuing his passion, Karen B. So this was really sad. This is a mother who lost her child. She said that she had two girls and she had this boy, Ryan, and Ryan just loved guns, and she never allowed guns in the house. But he would like bite his sandwiches into gun shapes so he would have a gun to play with. So she gave in, but she only let him have water pistols. Then when he was nine, his father actually got him a BB gun, and he loved it, and he became quite a history buff too, and he was especially drawn to books about past wars. Um, He joined a Boy Scout troop that reenacted wars. They reenacted the Revolutionary War, and he ended up trying to join the army, but he had a torn meniscus from being a wrestler in high school, so they wouldn't mm-hmm. take him. So instead, he went to the Navy because they would take him, and he became an electronics technician for a Navy SEAL team. And he was based in San Diego, which is fine. She figured he was safe there. But then one day he called and said he was going to an undisclosed location in the Middle East. And off he went. And then one day that thing that happened that all military parents dread. A black SUV pulled into their driveway. Two people got out, put on their hats, walked slowly to the front door, because, of course, nobody wants to knock on the door and deliver this message. And then she couldn't even hear what they said. Like, she heard nothing, but she knew why they were there. So then they had to go and collect his body at Dover Air Force Base, they decided to do a community project to honor their son. They'd gotten a lot of money at his wake, 
and there was a Vietnam, or not a Vietnam, just a general veterans memorial in their town that needed to be rebuilt and relocated. So that became her passion along with her husband. And they put a lot of effort into creating this new military veterans memorial in their town. And so that's what she's done. She says there's no way to bring back our son, but he was passionate about the military, and we honor that passion with our work on the memorial. It's a wonderful story. Very touching. I'm so glad you include that story in the book. It's truly wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was a downer, but I guess for military families, this is a reality. And so we put in stories like that because we were just being realistic. Chapter 11, Through the Generations, Putting Things in Perspective. And I love this story by Thomas Phillips. Yeah, he, he talks about the fact that you don't really know if people are remembering what our troops did and honoring them for it. And so he takes comfort from what he has seen in other countries. For example, he talks about a PBS special called D-Day Revisited, which focused on six World War II veterans of Omaha Beach returning to Normandy. And they were greeted by these French schoolchildren who study that invasion as part of their school's curriculum. And these kids had drawn pictures with the French flag on one side of the paper and the American flag on the other. And they asked the veterans to autograph their pictures they waited in long lines, these kids, to be photographed with these World War II veterans. And then our writer also talks about something that happened in Bastogne, Belgium. Um, his friend went there to celebrate an anniversary of that battle. And when his friend got there with his father, who was a veteran, they met a little Belgian schoolgirl who got up and sang our national anthem in English to this veteran. And as they drove down the main street, they saw there were still a Sherman tank sitting at the corner of a major intersection, and there were still American flags hanging from every building. And um, and our writer actually went there. Thomas went mm-hmm. there and saw these flags, and he asked at the gas station, is there a special occasion that caused everyone to put out these American flags? And the gas station attendant said, no, those flags are there all the time. So the people of Bastion, Belgium, still honor the United States for helping to liberate them during World War II. And then he talked about when he was in the service in Bosnia, and they were driving through a village that they had helped to liberate, and there were two elderly Muslim gentlemen drinking tea at a small table right next to the road, and one of them reached out and touched the American flag that was sewed onto Thomas's arm and the the guy said we will love you for a thousand years which is a very ancient phrase mm-hmm. um, which has deep meaning and is, and is a great honor and so Thomas says that when the headlines are bleak he finds himself thinking about all the people who appreciate the work of our American heroes um, and I love those three examples he gave in Normandy in Belgium and in Bosnia mm-hmm. Amy, you know, I wasn't born here in the United States, but I came here and I'm a citizen now. It's just truly a different sense of appreciation, the opportunity to be here and to be involved with such a great society. And I just thought that story was just 
very profound. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, the whole making this book, I think, really changed me. I think this was mm-hmm. an amazing experience to have, and it sounds like reading the book was an amazing experience for you also. Yeah, yeah, so true. What can we expect from Chicken Soup in the coming months? Oh, lots more books. <laughs> We're always working <laughs> on new books. Lots more charitable giving. Uh, we'll be doing a couple of books in August, a, a book about dogs and a book about cats, and the and royalties from those books will go to American Humane, which we already mm-hmm. support with two other dog books and two other cat books. You'll see just a lot more charitable giving from us, a lot more um, books where we try to entertain people but also expand mm-hmm. their minds and help them to become better people, more thoughtful, more involved with society, more willing to stand up for what they believe is right. Um, We're always out there trying to publish thoughtful, insightful stories that will make people feel when they put down a book that they just had a real experience, a life-changing experience. I've known you for five years now. I mean, time flies. It's amazing. I have to tell you, the more and more I hear you, it's like you're so passionate and you're in this wonderful bubble in terms of this is finally you found your true calling and you're doing this as a hobby and you enjoy it. It's so passionate about it. So I just want to let you know that. <laughs> well, thanks. It's a lot of work, but it is, it is worth it. Wonderful. What wonderful recipes for living would you like to share this morning with our listeners? So I was looking at my book schedule coming up because I knew you were going to ask me this and I realized <laughs> that my schedule for the next half year or so, mm-hmm. the books I'm making really do represent my recipe for living. For example, okay. after those dog and cat books that I just mentioned, we're going to come out with a book called My Kind of America, which mm-hmm. is about the kind of America that we believe we live in. And that is an right. America of tolerance and respect and compassion and and welcoming immigrants who bring so much um, dynamic energy to our country. And um, then after that, we're coming up with another book that I think represents a lot of what I believe in. It's called Dreams and the Unexplainable. And it's basically about how your dreams are the way your subconscious tells you what you already know, but you're too busy to listen to during your waking hours when you're distracted by so many things. And that, that very much plays into my recipe for living, which is that you do have the tools within you. And if you just really look inwards, you could figure out what you really need to do. And then we're doing a great book right after that, which is so much a part of my personal philosophy. It's called Step Outside Your Comfort Zone. Mm-hmm. It's about doing those things you're afraid of, doing those things that make you uncomfortable, trying new things, forcing yourself to do new things, whether it's a little thing like go shop at a different grocery store where you don't know where everything is or whether it's some really big thing like change your career. And then we're doing a book after that called Miracles and More, which is about how good things do happen to good people. And so often I find myself in the middle of some difficult period just kind of knowing, because I've been exposed to so many Chicken Soup for the Soul stories, that something good is going to happen and it's all going to work out. So that book is going to talk about that. And then finally, when I look at my production schedule for you know the next six months, Mm -hmm. which means these books will come out, (laughs) months after I finish creating them. But next spring, we have a book coming out called My Amazing Mom, and I'll be working on that this fall. And it's 
all these stories about how your mom really never leaves you, that unconditional love and support is always there. You can always kind of lean on it. It's still there. Just lean back a little, and it's still there for you, even if your mom is living at a distance from you or is gone. So Mm -hmm. so I, I decided that my next half dozen or so books that I'm working on really do constitute my recipe for living. Fabulous. Those are all wonderful. I really love the way you had structured it all down. And you know what? That's what I mentioned just now. The more I talk with you and I realize that this is really the authentic you in terms of like it's in you. You chicken soup. That's it. <laughs> you made the success <laughs> So it's really wonderful. Well, thanks, Daddy. Amy, you're welcome. It's just a pleasure, such a pleasure to always talk with you. So thank you for the great recipes for living and for being with me on the air for this hour on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in three weeks on Tuesday morning, June the 13th. My guest will be Frank Didone. Frank and I will be discussing his book, Life's Equation, A Journey Toward Finding Greater Purpose in Life. For additional information about this show, and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. Hardship. My grandmother would go through it every month to pay her insurance bill. First, she would handwrite a paper check, in cursive. Then, using her own tongue, she would wet a stamp for an envelope. Today, however, we need not weary our hands and tongues. Today, we can pay our GEICO bill with the GEICO app. Away with hardship, in with bill pay on the GEICO app. Thank you.